recorded live from the Wayo FM studios in the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York. Welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling. And I'm Amy Stevens. In this podcast, we take an objective look at dramatic change. And as two transgender women, we know a thing or two about that. And we will talk about transgender issues on this show in a way that we think will be both informative and entertaining. But we'll also be looking at the amazing number of radical changes we're experiencing in our society as well. On today's show, we're going to be doing a little bit of both. Our first segment, we'll be talking about my favorite subject, me. I'll be talking a bit about my own transformation, about what's changed, as well as the things that remain the same with me. In our second segment, we'll take a look at what is and isn't being done to figure out the number of transgender folk in our country. But for now, let's continue with that time-honored tradition of the music swell and fade. And we're back. My first guest today on Transformation Thursday is also my co-host. So I guess she's our first guest. Amy, why don't you introduce our guest? Who is you? I don't... That seems kind of... That puts me on the spot, but I think the best way to introduce myself is that my name's Amy Stevens. I'm a 47-year-old transgender woman. Uh, I began my transformation probably socially about a little over... Well, right about two and a half years ago, actually. Okay, we're recording this in July of 2019, so yep. so like early 2017? Yeah, early 2017 in February, I came out to a friend. Uh, we were having coffee one day. This is a friend I know from business, and for some reason, she just seemed safe, and I ended up having coffee, and we were supposed to be there for like 45 minutes to an hour when you're doing those networking one-to-one things, and we... And we ended up talking for over two hours. And by the end of the conversation, we're both crying. We're hugging. She's whispering in my ear, I love you. You're going to be okay. And, you know, on the back side of this, now looking back from February of 2017, now in July of 2019, she was right. Did you plan on this or did it, was this one of those moments where you just felt safe enough that you dared to do it? It was one of those moments where I just felt safe to do it. I had been wrestling with things recently. You know, I was cross-dressing in secret. I was going through that shame cycle of, you know, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I've been trying to cure this for years, and I can't. And in January 2017, I had actually um, planned out how I was going to do my suicide. And the more I thought about that, I thought about one thing. I thought about how I couldn't leave my two daughters with a legacy of suicide. I I just couldn't do that. But I also knew at that point in my life, I had this situation that I was calling cross-dressing at the time that I needed to deal with. And this was either going to um, kill me, and, you know, I was contemplating it. Fortunately, I never made an attempt, so... I was able to get a hold of myself before that. And then second, it was, I had to come out. It was either come out or this is going to kill me. And in February of 2017, I started coming out first to my friend. I ended up finding a counselor and then, you know, through working and talking with him, uh, built up my courage and strength to come out to my, at the time, my wife. That's... 
Oh man, that's so much of what you say relates to to my story. But we're we're talking about you today. So of course, this is a loaded question because I have an answer <laughs> for this, and you, and and this is one of the questions that, uh, as a transgender woman, I'm sure you get asked a lot. When did you know you were transgender? You know, it would be easy to look back over, especially my childhood, and say, "Okay, I knew then. I knew then." But that intellectually isn't honest to me. I can look back and say the first time I ever thought about being transgender and wanting to look pretty like the women, other transgender women, I said, that's what I want. That wouldn't be until my mid-20s, and that would have been 1995, 96 when I was at college. And and I told this story yesterday when we were on a, you know the radio program locally here in Rochester that you and I were on, but it was... Funny enough, it was watching the Jerry Springer television show. And it just seems so weird to say that. But Jerry would have on a transgender woman. They'd go through the whole show, and the boyfriend would be there, of course. They haven't been super intimate yet. Maybe a hug, a kiss, maybe a little feel here and there. But they hadn't done this super intimate act yet. Ooh. Yeah. and But then right at the end of the show... The surprise was I used to be a dude. Oh God! I know, and it was, and it was, you know, Jerry, Jerry, and you know, the guy would get mad, he'd be embarrassed, and so you look at that and you say, okay, I want to be like that transgender woman I see on TV, but because of those societal reactions, I can't do it. Yeah, especially not on <clears throat> Jerry Springer. No. Yeah, I don't know how many, you know. We're both uh, mature women, and I, I, I often say that you know you you know you're starting to get old when your pop culture references become an- historical anecdotes. So, yep. in case people don't understand what the Jerry Springer show was, it was a sensationalist quote talk show uh, that was in the like 80s and 90s, where he would bring on people ostensibly to have these intellectual discussions, and they always devolved into just horror shows uh, of, of you know, like the worst and po- worst popular, worst behavior you could think of. The, the interesting thing about that in my mind is I always thought that that was a singular experience that I was going through. Mm-hmm. And then two years ago in September of 2017, I met a friend of mine uh, down in Pittsburgh and we were having coffee. Um, she identifies as gender, uh, well, let's see, she, da, 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 she's bi-gender. Mm-hmm. And so she lives her life primarily, goes to work and and is a guy, Mm -hmm. and then does most of her social activities in the evening as as a girl. And but when we're we're the same age, we're both forty seven. And when I was recounting this story to her, she looked me square in the eyes and said, "I had the exact same experience, (laughs) except." Amy, I was in Binghamton, and you were in Wisconsin. I'm like, did you watch that same episode? And we high-fived. Oh, my God. You did? Did you both watch the same episode? I don't know, but it just... But 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 it could have... Yeah, like, there were so many of them. Uh, You know, briefly... Yeah, my my only experience with the Jerry Springer show was when I was sitting in a dentist's office. That seems a little weird. It was on... they, They had, like, they had the show on... Uh-huh. And in the in the they had like that channel on the in, in Rochester's WUHF. Okay. This this was back before you know cable was as ubiquitous 
and they but they had a TV on in because it was a high tech dentist office, and they had a TV on in the waiting room to for our entertainment, and uh, it was on WUHF, and Jerry Springer was on, and the show was I was a teen drag queen. Oh gosh! And it was I was started counting the number of ways they could say the word teen drag queen and how many times they could put the phrase teen drag queen in the show. And it was on the lower third. There was I, and screaming fonts. I was a teen drag queen with exclamation points after it. And it was the most intensely uncomfortable thing for me to to have to deal with. And the, the audio was up. So even if I was facing the other way, I would still hear Jerry talking to the teen drag queens about being teen drag queens. And I it was, I was, it, it just, I never watched. So, you know, even yeah. though we have so much in common, there's a, there's a, there's a, a line here between you and me. And I, but I understand that, that idea of, um, seeing things in popular culture and, and having them resonate with you. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's time because it is the mid nineties and we, you know, I never really heard the word transgender, and I mean, it was always transsexual from Transylvania, mm-hmm. making the Rocky Horror picture. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's you internalize all this stuff, and you realize at the time the way people are talking about gay people, the way people are talking about this transsexual stuff, that you just you you don't go there. You know, well, I was we don't go there. We don't go there. I mean, you try, you do everything you can to avoid it. And you end up getting married to a wonderful woman, having a couple kids, and you have that, you know, very cis, normal life. Mm-hmm. And but at some point, you know, mid forties, you're like, uh, you know, you know. So how do how do you reconcile all that? And I think you know, I did it the best way that I could. You know, I definitely made some mistakes the last couple of years and how I handled things. But overall, I'm pretty happy with. How my transition has unfolded. Yeah, I, I always you know, mistakes are part of life. I always look at it as you, we're we're doing the best we can. Yeah, and I think the biggest mistake I think, you know, and I was explaining this to my ex the other day is I think the biggest mistake we made, or we in, in particular I, was not coming out to my kids sooner, um, because what ended up happening is I started hormones in July of 2018 thinking that I could balance this and still be gender fluid and bones in between worlds and not Mm, let the kids know. And so by the time the kids really figured out and I came out to them in the spring of this year, I'm nine months on hormones. I have full breasts. I'm presenting a lot more. So, you know, we went from zero to 60 with them in no time at all. You're a stand-up comedian, and you have a joke about that in your yep. in your act. Uh, could you do the joke for us here? Which joke are you thinking about? about uh, how long? What's what's the difference? Oh, the what's the difference? Okay, yeah. So so let's let's give some contextualization to that joke because I also the way I set that up in my act is one of the things when I started coming out is because I was trying to build community, and that's community is such an important thing for us in the transgender community. One because. You know, estimates are we're anywhere from a half to 1% of the population. Yeah, we'll be talking about that in our next segment. So uh, there we go. I just teased it for you. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, Yeah, nice setup. You pitched it in there, and I swing at it. Oh, my gosh. It's like we've done radio before. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, back, back to the setup on this joke is so, you know, you're trying to find community. I ended up online 
finding a cross-dressing server on the app Discord. Mm. And so that's how I ended up chatting, you know, looking at pictures and kind of figuring this out. And first, when I went on there, I was a cross-dresser. Mm-hmm. Quickly figured out that that evolved to gender fluid, but... There's a joke inside of the cross-dressing community, inside of this gender non-conforming life that we're in. You know, what's the difference between a cross-dresser and a trans woman? I don't know, Amy. What is the difference between a cross-dresser and a trans woman? Well, the joke goes 36 months, but in my case, it was 16 months because, hey, I'm a quick learner. And that's the difference between the time that I started coming out and I got on the hormone replacement therapy. You know, and in between there, what a lot of people don't realize is there's counselor's appointments. There's appointments with my general practitioner. There's appointments with the endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. I switched general practitioners very deliberately about six months after first coming out to my ex. And I ended up switching over to Trillium Health here in Rochester. And they specialize in LGBTQ+. Um, health healthcare services. And in my first appointment with my doctor and we're walking through things, she was like, I think you're going to need to get on hormones. This is what I think, this is the treatment. I'm like, no, I know what, that's January of 2018. We're having this conversation and it wasn't until July that I finally got on the hormones. It took that long for you to believe that they need, that's what you needed? I, I knew in the back of my mind that I needed to get there eventually, But also the situation at home and how things were unfolding, you know, that starting hormones was going to open a whole nother can of worms that I wasn't ready to open at that time. That was going to bring on new issues. And I knew it. And I figured I'd get there at some point. And, you know, it was May of 2018 when I'm like, okay, my doctor's been in my ear about this. It's, it's It's time to take action. That, it's... Fascinating how many of the the points that you're hitting on your story that resonate with me, and I'm sure with a lot of other transgender. I mean, like the the time frames are different. You know, I, you you went maybe A B C D, and I may have gone A D B C. Mm-hmm. But you know, in that in that entire transformation period, uh, they they are very very similar. Uh, so, what has changed in your life since you transitioned, besides the bodacious tatas? Well, yeah, as we as I'm, as, as, as I'm asking this question, she's leaning back and arching her back and running her hands relatively lasciviously over her, her lovely top. It's funny you mention that and bring that up and describe it so vividly for our listeners. You know, but even my ex commented. I like to share. Yeah, even my, even my ex the other day commented, you know, we, we went out with the kids to Wendy's and she's like, do you always have to stand so still? straight up with your shoulders back pointing out your boobs <laughs> so the way you stand is that different now than it used to be yeah I, I stand differently now I stand I stand a little bit taller I stand and I pay a lot more attention to my posture and my mechanics of how I move um, it's a little bit more deliberate especially in my walking yeah I, I tend to swing the hips a little bit more yeah. tend to lead with the hips tend to put the shoulders back mm-hmm. uh, that's you know I'm trying to I've always walked that way at some level. In fact, I was made fun of it, you know, at a younger age for the way of some of my behaviors and the way I walked and talked and did the things that I did. Mm -hmm. And even 
a couple of years ago, I was doing a boot camp class at the fire department. We They bring in a personal trainer a few times a week. And one of the trainers there is like, Hoot, that's one of my nicknames. Hoot, you, your shoulder, the way you move and lift and do things is more in, indicative of a female. Mm-hmm. This this might so I mean so you you know you talk about this idea of intersex and that's more related to genitalia, but our our whole body so to me it says okay there's probably parts of my body that are constructed more female I don't have huge shoulders broad shoulders I'm my shoulders really look more feminine and I'm very jealous of that <laughs> and so and so if you look at some of these things I I think maybe genitalia wise assigned male at birth, but, you know, there's other parts of my body, you know, shoulders, the way I walk, the the way I think, the Your way brain. My, my brain being yeah. the biggest one. Right. You know. So let me ask you this. I, I don't, I, don't I, I think when you look at the way I'm composed, uh, I, transgender has to be the natural outcome. Yeah. So when the trainer said that about you and you were at that point, uh, I'm guessing nowhere near... Uh, acknowledging or even th- were you thinking about the fact that you might be transgender at that point in your life when he said that? And what was your reaction to him saying that to you? That was the spring right after I'd come out to my friend and my and my ex. Okay, so you were already so in the I, process. So I'm like, oh, there's so many things we could talk about right now, dear, but we didn't. Yeah. You know, but it, it was kind of a confirmation mm-hmm. of saying, yeah, I'm on the right track with this. And, and other things that have changed with you, uh, were you a stand-up comedian uh, before you did this? I mean, how much how much of a public persona did you have before you started transitioning? I had zero. I had zero. Uh, in my youth, you know, we were talking about this. I have an undergraduate degree in radio, TV, film. Uh, from 18 to my late 20s, I was in and out of broadcast radio. I realized I like money, though, and wanted to have a living <laughs> and afford things. So so you're smarter than me. Yeah, I got out of it a little bit sooner. But, you know, this is my first love, um, getting back into the podcast world here. But, you know, from the late 90s to the time I started stand-up, I had, you know, virtually, other than my social media, I had no public persona of any sort. It's just a regular average Joe. And I didn't start doing stand-up until after I started hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lead into this is in January of 2018. I started taking improv classes with our friend Megan Mack over we'll at be- yep over at the Rochester Brainery, and yeah. Megan's going to be one of our future guests here. So we'll look for that podcast as well. Yeah. So we started doing, or I started doing improv with her and then it was the fall or the spring of 2018 i'd taken a few classes was going there as a boy Mm -hmm. or as a man i don't know how you want to refer to it male male okay male yeah i was going as a male and but megan seemed safe and so i sent her an email that said i just signed up for class i am gender fluid and i want to be able to come and present as female and she replied back, you come however as you want. You will be welcome. You do not need to worry about a thing. And that's the way it was. And so in 2018 and most of 2018, I would go to improv either or. And some people would say, oh, you're here as this today or you're here <laughs> male or female. And then What are we calling you today? Yeah, what are we calling you today? So, And I've had a couple of those conversations. And so... Well, in improv, you learn to accept the offer. So yep. it's like you're Amy, then you're Amy. Yes, and... Exactly. So, you know, that, and then 
I, I like improv because it helps with thinking, spontaneity, and those type of things. But when I always thought about dreaming and comedy, my dreams related to any type of comedy, I would look more to the stand-up world. And then uh, through Megan, Megan introduced me to Woody Bataglia from Brunchtown Comedy here in Rochester. And Woody puts on a stand-up class. Eight weeks, $150, best value in comedy. You know, you learn the mechanics of being on stage, how to write jokes, getting to the point, you know, and then just getting up on stage, even in front of a small group every week and practicing your craft. And then, oh gosh, I took that class October through December of last year. And then... I didn't do any open mics, and then in February of this year, 2019, I ended up scheduling a trip to uh, London, England to visit a friend, and my friend over there had seen a video of me doing stand-up and said, you know, I one of my dreams would be to see you do stand-up because you're transgender, I'm transgender, I would like to see your act. So through the wonders of social media, I'd made friends with a comedian by the name of Jenny B-Side, who I hope someday will come to Rochester and perform. And Jenny and I had been friends through social media, so I sent Jenny a message after I booked that trip and said, hey, Jenny, guess who's going to be in London in in May? And I've only performed once at this point, and that was Woody's graduation show. And Jenny's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, do you know any open mics, any good open mics? Jenny's like, I'll do you one better. There's a weekly show. It's designed. It's similar to an open mic, but it's really good. It's very welcoming crowd, it would be perfect for you. And so Jenny got me scheduled on a show for when I was going to be in London. So I was in London in May of this year, and I did two gigs over there. And so it was fantastic. So then it's February, and I'm like, in three months, I'm going to be in London. I better start doing some (laughs) (laughs) stand-up. So I ended up jumping you know, headfirst into the stand-up world here in Rochester, doing open mics. I quickly started getting gigs. And just kept on practicing. Now, I you know, I might get two, three gigs a month. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, kind of varies. Um, but then I'm also trying to get to one to two open mics a week, you know, depending on my schedule and how everything works with the kids and our schedules. And if you want to see Amy's uh, London stand-up comedy, can we put a link to that on our Patreon page? We'll put it on our Patreon page, definitely. I can put a link to that. You can see that and other videos we've been posting, more I've been posting, but... Yeah, trying to get that going, but we'll get more duo videos here soon. So, so do you think the 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 fact of coming out and being transgender released a lot of the fears that you had, or the desire, or or rem- showed you the desires that you had to to have a public presence like this, to be a performer, to be somebody who's more in the public eye? I think it's made me being transgender and acknowledging that. And living my life authentically has allowed me to embrace that side better. And what I'm presenting is my true self. And it's a very comfortable feeling. You see me on stage. I get a little nervous here and there, but you know, who wouldn't? Um, Getting up and doing stand-up comedy is, is a scary prospect. You know, you're getting up with a specific task making your audience laugh. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of storytelling. If you get a chuckle here and there, you, you're great. But no matter what, people are going to keep rolling. You know, my job is specifically to make people laugh. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's scary sometimes. And there's been nights where I get up and nothing happens. But you got to roll through it. It's just part of the deal. So, But being authentic has given me the courage to come out 
you know, and be myself and start performing. Wonderful answer. So that's the things that have changed. What has stayed the same with Amy? Oh, gosh. You know, I think this would depend on who you're speaking to. Um, well, I'm speaking to you, so I want to hear what you think. Yeah. I Is the same. Because I've had this conversation a few times at home, obviously, with my ex and with the kids since I've come out to them. Um, what has stayed the same is my sense of humor. Um, you know, sarcastic, witty, dry, uh, a little bit of foreboding in there, and as well as some self-deprecation. Um, I'm very quick to make myself the center of any joke, and, and I think that's, you know, a good jumping-off point for that. Um, I think my sense of service and caring is still there. Um, I hey, think, could, you, could you go over some of the things that you do on a volunteer basis? Even before oh, my gosh. Yeah, just go over this. This is pretty darn impressive and wide and varied, and it's really fascinating to hear you talk about your transition and all of these different things. So just give a couple of, a couple of things. Some are volunteers, some are paid, um, but you know, in real life, I'm an insurance agent, so a very public-facing um, professional position that requires me to sit down in front of people, business people, and people have known me here now in this community for over six years as a male, and now I'm saying, hi, I'm Amy. And that's gotten some interesting reactions, but pretty much all have been positive. So no complaints there. So that's my professional job that pays the bills Monday through Friday, you know, nine to whatever. And then we also have, I do this thing where I referee sports, um, particularly what I've been doing for the last 25 years is ice hockey, very alpha male, locker room driven type of mentality. And so I've been making that transition there since the end of the season. I did a tournament during the off season for, you know, prospect tournament for um, girls hockey. And the locker room situation was interesting. I, that's probably going to be the place where I have my biggest challenge as far as acceptance I've figured out. I've communicated back to the board that I'm a member of and saying, you know, hey, this is what's going on in the locker room. Here's some situations. Here's how I want to handle things. And trying to find that advocacy voice for myself because I realized a 47-year-old trans woman is a very uncommon thing to most people that are baby boomers or Gen Xers. So, and those are the people that are in charge of the board that, of my referee association. So I have to advocate for myself. And that's what I have done. And I've tried to provide very open and straightforward communication on what my expectations are as a trans person. Have you officiated a game as Amy yet? Not really. I, I mean, oh, completely. I know you've just I mean, recently I, transitioned. Yeah, I just recently transitioned. And completely. this is not hockey season. It's no, July. It's July. But I did go to that off-season tournament a few weeks ago and in the locker room. I made no qualms about it. I did not try to hide anything. Um, you know, was in my sports bra, was wear, painted nails. You know, I didn't hide anything. But, you know, when it came to introducing myself to coaches or interacting, it was, hi, I'm Hoot. Um, I just, there's a side of me that says in a hockey game, I really don't want to get into a deep level conversation about my gender identity. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty safe. And who, who does a great non, it's, it's a variation of your, of your last name and it's a good, safe, non-gender specific thing to be called. And, and, but now, and I also, in the off season from hockey, I'm also umpiring baseball. And so I was going to try to get through this entire season as a male, however, I'm now fully out there as well as Amy. 
I went to a training seminar last week as Amy. I went to my game this past weekend. I stuck with Hoot, but you know I have some very nice red gel nails. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not hiding it, but at the same time, I just don't want to get into the conversation on a, on a hockey rink or a baseball field. Any reaction at all to being to being transgender when you're umpiring? No. I didn't think so. No. As long as I make the right call, people yeah, the, don't care. Yeah, the umpires are supposed to be, umpires and referees are best when they're invisible. So, yep. that's, so that's cool. And some people say that about transgender women too. Right. And well, some places where you're not invisible is in the fire department. Yeah. So that's my big community service right now. Uh, I've been a volunteer firefighter since 2013. So coming on six years. So uh, coming out there was my scariest place where I thought I was going to have the biggest challenge. Uh, however, it looks like it's going to be hockey. The The firefighter world has been, my local fire department that I'm a member of has been fantastic. I have, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that don't understand, don't agree, whatever, but they've been polite to me and kind, and everybody calls me my name, calls me Hoot, or, or maybe some people, you know, they don't say something to me because maybe they're just afraid to say the wrong thing. And so I've sensed some of that. And one of the things that really helped me recently was a couple weeks ago, I went on a call. I ended up taking an ambulance to Rochester General. And then another firefighter came to pick me up. And that firefighter, you know, he's one of those conservative, very, um, you know, gosh, what's the word? You know, alpha male? Yeah, alpha male. Very kind, very nice, but, you know, hunting, fishing, mm-hmm. you know, camping, you know, right. that, that type of world, a man's man. Right. And, you know, he picked me up, but somebody called me he, and he goes, no, that's she. And so, you know, he, you know, and so he refers to me with proper pronouns, name, you know, but at the same time, I could tell in the car that, you know, we haven't spoken about me being transgender, and I could tell he didn't want to speak about it. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to have a normal conversation about everything else in my life. And that's a wonderful thing. It is. Yeah. And and then that's one of the observations that I did this thing on Facebook called Guidelines and Expectations for My Transformation. And my last one I closed with is now that I'm full-time, I'm, and I've probably talked about this too much, but it's so consuming. But I'm ready to move on and talk about other things too. Yeah. I want to do an entire... An entire segment of a future show about your your I like to call the the manifesto, you know I I, I kind of seen these as like a Martina Luther putting that on the, <laughs> but any but I want to get past but I want but we're we're getting we're getting at about the half hour point which I want to wrap this up but okay. one place that you haven't talked about what's changed or what stayed the same is your family I know you are divorcing your wife yep. and that's a fairly amicable divorce fairly amicable yeah I think it's very amicable. You know, I mentioned this in my comedy act too. You know, she got to a point after two years of, I love you, I accept you, I just can't be married to a woman. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Right. That's the second best answer. Right. And so, you know, it's put us off into a space now where we've been able to negotiate our divorce very amicably. Uh, it's so amicable that I'm not moving out of the house. We're just going to shift bedrooms around. Uh, right now, I have my summer home open in the driveway. It's called my pop up. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that picture of that thing. I was like, yeah, that needs that needs a, that needs a forest around it. It's a, it doesn't yeah. really look good in a, in a yard in Arundacoit, but it works. It does work for now. And also, last thing about your kids: how is your relationship with your children? You have two, and their yep. ages are. 
Uh, 10 and 17. So let's start with the 17 year old. You know, you talk about this, you know, yesterday and we've talked about, you know, at 17, that world is my parents are don't, my parents are stupid is the way I interpret it. And of course we are. We're parents. It's part of the job description. And we're only here, you know, when they need us. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things with, with that daughter revolves around that mentality, you know, but we've maintained an open line of communication, I think. And she's very good at setting boundaries. Uh, one of the best things we ever did with her was getting her into counseling at an early age. One of the things I've said to her growing up as parents, our job is to give you material for your future therapist. And so, you know, right now she definitely has plenty of material. So you're welcome. Yeah. So, but, you know, one of the things we talk about that she talks about with me is I need to get used to this. I don't know how to get used to this, but I'm also grieving for the dad that I had and now for the new dad that I'm going to have. And how do I figure out those relationships? Right. And so it's, that's been that tough. such a tough age in general. Yeah. She's had a whole life through high school, mm-hmm. puberty, everything as one thing. And then I flip a switch one day. Yeah. And then the 10-year-old. The 10-year-old. Oh, my gosh. You know my 10-year-old. Oh, my gosh. She's adorable. My 10-year-old is amazing. You know, we... You know, we had to explain what transgender is, and once we explained it and she grasped the concept, one of the things she was able to do real quick was to say, okay, but she hasn't gone through puberty yet, so she doesn't have those locked-in memories that the 17-year-old has. So that's the big difference between the two of them. The the 10-year-old just wants to know, are you still my dad? you still love me? Are we going to do things together? But one of the things that both kids realize is that for the last year, I have been so much happier. And they see that and acknowledge that, and that I'm not as quick with, you know, getting angry and flying off the handle. So it's it's improved our relationships, but it is, it's still evolving. And you're still dad. I am still dad. You know, no matter what, my role in their creation is from the male side, and there's nothing that can change that. Mm-hmm. They and, have a mom, and it's not you. It ha- and and I and I 100 percent honor her motherhood, and I made sure that as we were going through this process, I made sure she want, knew made sure she knew that I was not going to claim that title from her. This has been a fascinating half hour for yeah. me. I mean, I mean, we're friends. We've been friends for, uh, for a while now, uh, and we're co-hosts on the show, but just hearing you talk about this right now has just been really great. So, you know, thanks for stepping stepping up to the plate and and, and being the subject of our very first episode of our very first show, Amy. Yeah. And there's so much more we can talk about. So that's the great part of this. You know, we're only scratching the surface with this. There's a lot more details. There are other great transformations inside of our society. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be talking about those. We mentioned Megan Mack. We're going to have Evan Dawson on from WXXI News to talk about the changes in news. That's for a future Thursday. But right now, this is Transformation Thursday, and we will be right back after this. This segment of Transformation Thursdays is brought to you by Renewable Energy, the city of San Diego, and by the number one million four hundred thousand that's the best estimate available of the transgender population of the united states compiled in 2016 by the williams institute a think tank of the ucla law school this number was extrapolated from several state level population-based surveys that identify transgender respondents because there is no nationwide population survey in our country that measures gender identity 
1.4 million is 0.6% of the population of the United States. Six-tenths of a percent may sound like a relatively small percentage of the population to get so worked up about, but remember this. One of the things Donald Trump campaigned on was preserving the jobs of coal miners. And there's only 50,000 coal miners in this country. And here's the thing. Coal miners can get a different job. Trans folk can't get another gender. By the way, 1.4 million is almost exactly the population of San Diego, California, the eighth largest city in the United States. So if every trans person in the U.S. decided to inhabit one spot, that would be the one to pick. Which may explain why the San Diego Chargers moved to Los Angeles last year. Too bad because that powder blue and gold color scheme is perfect for me. So welcome back to Transformation Thursdays. I'm Penny Sterling here with Amy Stevens. And for this segment, we're going to talk about counting. Counting? Yes, counting, specifically counting transgender people. People who's uh, gender questioning, transgender folk, non-binary folk, gender questioning folk, all the whole, the whole Megillah. Okay. The, the whole shooting around. One, so, uh, two, point four million Oh, that's, I don't have that many toes or fingers. <laughs> Good, because <laughs> it would be really hard to find cute shoes with that many toes. <laughs> it's already and, hard enough at our size. <laughs> I know, really. And if you notice that most of our shoes that we get are like with the, like the six-inch platform heels, and there's very few that are actually... Anyhow, I, I'm fortunate, being a size 11, most places do carry my size. That's wonderful. I yeah, know. And that's, I'm just happy God for you. Nabbit. Yeah, so this is the <laughs> Dag Nabbit, that's my line. So this is the third week of July when we're recording this. And this week, a federal judge in New York City permanently blocked the Trump administration's attempt to put a question into count ethnicity in the 2020 survey. Yep. Uh, and that's important for people who like to think about things and have empathy because uh, – the fear was that the GOP would use that information to gerrymander districts. In no, order to, they would they. You think they would do that? That's well. That's the fear. That's okay. what I'm saying, okay. and the, okay. and that's because of the way they they seem to work, and the the GOP seems to work. Well, so I that, think, but I think any. Well, let's just back up there for real quick. I think anybody in political power is going to do anything they can to ensure their political survival moving into the future. Right. And I think really right now is we see a huge demographic swing in the United States as far as the number of minorities that are in the country, growing populations of Hispanics, mm -hmm. Asians, and other cultures. You know, the GOP, I think, realizes for them that right now they're not going to win the war on ideas, especially related to how to treat people. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is how they realize they stay in power. Which actually is kind of counterproductive for them. Their 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 phobias and their prejudice is based on ethnicity because, quite frankly, most of the and this is oh, I don't want to go there. I was going to talk about Hispanic. I don't no, want you don't want to go there. But but there's but I see where you're going with this is throughout the world right now, especially in the Western world, there is this huge push for nationalism. We can look at the Brexit vote from a few years ago. That was driven by nationalism. Trump is driven by nationalism and xenophobia. And the true, the two really overarching factors of those is this idea of nationalism, protecting what is ours, and then the fear of the immigrants coming in. Yeah. That, that was the big driver of Brexit, and that continues to be the big driver of support for, 
for President Do- Donald Trump. Gosh, I hate saying that. Yeah, yeah. And just so, you know, xenophobia literally is Latin for fear of others. And yeah. one of the bigger others, or one of the bigger fears that they have about others is the LBGTQ plus community. Yeah. And when the Obama administration wrote the 2020 census, they put in a number of questions designed to track and count for the first time uh, the LBGTQ plus population of the United States. But when the Trump administration came in, they pretty much removed all of them. They did, however, over uh, a, a lot of howls of protest, they finally uh, reinstated questions about LBGTQ, same-sex marriage and same-sex cohabitation. So for the first time in American history, there will be a count of people who are uh, you know, the LBGTQ people in same-sex arrangements. Marriages yeah. and nothing, and which is wonderful. It is wonderful. However, it goes back to when we look at the issues of transgender within the Trump administration. Who's driving that? It's. I don't think it's Donald <clears throat> Trump. Pence. Mike Pence. Mike Pence. Yeah. Mike Pence, and his whole idea and religious philosophy is that we don't exist. Right. And that's that's pretty much the yeah. the, the American so why, Christian evangelical yeah, viewpoint and Mormons. Right. I can say that because I come from a Mormon background. Right. And it's true. But if we don't exist in their minds, why there shouldn't be questions because any of those questions that come through the census to count us would indicate that we are valid. Yeah, so we have lost uh the transgender community has lost a real important yeah. tool in order to find because of the Williams Institute survey stated right on there right on the on the on the on the documentation of how they did this. So there is no nationwide counting mechanism that, that, that will count transgender. So they, what they did is they took a bunch of statewide surveys. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, that number was 1.4 million. In 2011, it was 750,000. So that was doubled in five years. And those, and those counts are entire populations. That's well, that's, 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 that's extrapolation. Enti- extrapolation, but that, but that's an overarching, like entire population, it's an so estimate estimate of the entire population. So anywhere from 0.5 to one percent of the population here in the United States, we're guessing, is transgender. And I I believe, and this is just pure belief. I have nothing to back it up other than my personal experience. That number is low. I have a number to back that up. Okay, what would that number be? I have a number of nearly three percent. And where'd that come from? The University of Minnesota, my home state. Oh, go Gophers! Skyuma. Whatever that means. Continue. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so in to late 2016, the University of Minnesota did a study. They published it in early 2017, and they found that nearly 3% of Minnesota high school students are transgender or gender nonconforming. Well, I and and that's a huge number. That is a huge number of of high school students that will become adults that will be count that could have been counted that should be counted, um, and Minnesota is no more or less. Um, trans-friendly than just about any other state. I would yep. imagine it's probably a little bit less in, in some ways. Be- I would think in Minnesota, having grown up there, and I did spend some time there last year, that it's going to be a lot like here. Your bigger cities are going to be more welcoming and hospitable to um, the transgender community. Mm-hmm. We definitely see that here in Rochester. Right. But I think like the like any place mm-hmm. here in Rochester, right now we're in central part of Rochester. Right. We're not quite downtown, but we're pretty close to it. Mm -hmm. You go 20 minutes outside of us. Either way, if you go north, you're in the lake. But if you go south, east, or west, 
you're in cornfields. Right. You're in very rural areas. Well, if you go anywhere in Minnesota, you're in a lake. Yeah, true. But the point of the story is that once you get into those surrounding areas outside of the metropolitan areas, you're going to run into some very red areas. And the counties around us here in upstate New York were some of the highest percentage, by percentage, of counties that went for Trump. Yeah. By huge numbers. There's a huge dichotomy between people who live in cities and actually live around other the 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 scary others of yeah. the right wing that, that that don't do that we I was just having we were having a conversation yesterday and actually on the show that we are on connections with Evan Dawson Evan is going to be a future guest here on Transformation Thursdays I've heard that rumor yeah I've heard that too they were actually talking uh, about the 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 stories that people in the country talk about in the city the idea that if you walk into walk on down the street in Rochester at any time you're probably going to get shot if you're white. Which well, is, no, but that's that's definitely not true because last night at ten fifteen at night, I walked in the South Wedge, which is in the city of Rochester, mm-hmm. down the street right. with myself, a transgender woman, a 17-year-old white girl, and a 10-year-old white girl. Right. When we survived. Well, I live in Swilberg, and we, and you which know is what? right next door to the South Wedge. We even walked by black people. That's that's an oh am- my gosh! And they didn't say anything to us. They they, they didn't even, even say hello. How one, are you? One smiled and just kind of nodded. Hey, how are you? Yeah, that's yeah. I yeah. That is that is the that is the thing. And I so live to tell the tale. A lot of fear based decision making being done here, and a way of countering that is actual numbers. Yeah, and, and so- empirical inf- information, and that has not that is not going to be counted in twenty twenty. No, it's not going to be counted, but the fear and mongering in that raw emotion is what a lot of people play off of in hate politics. Yeah. And, but you look at that 3% number that we're talking about in Minnesota of high mm-hmm. school students. Now, let's say only 1% of, let's just say out of that 1% of those high school students end up living their life as, tra- as a transgender man or a transgender female. And the rest of them live, you know, some sort of gender nonconforming life, or maybe they just say, "Hey, you know what? I experimented. I tried this, and I'm just going to live my life as a gender I was assigned at birth." You know what? Those people have friends. Those people saw their friends go through these struggles. They related. They understand it. This has a domino effect through society, and really, when it comes to gender, well, you're not even. It doesn't even uh, matter if they're if if they are or are not have questions about their own, do or do not have questions about their own gender. The fact that they are around people that do, they do, and they and accept they, them and love them for who they are, regardless of how they live their lives, is how we should all treat people. Period. And, and that's how allies are born is by being around people. Jesus said, "Love one another." He he did. He, he did. gave a new commandment: love one another. He didn't say it with an asterisk, love one another except for the transgenders, love everyone except for the Zeno, except for the people from outside of your country. There's no, there's no, ugh. There's, yeah, and, and he did not say it riding on a dinosaur either. So that, <laughs> so that's, that's it. So what, what we're trying to say here, well, what, are we, what, what I'm trying to say is that that number, uh, 1.4 million, I Personally, I think believe it's is low. woefully short. I, for example, if if you had asked me in 2014, I I admitted to myself that I was transgender in uh, April of 2014. If in and it was late April, so if in early April, if you had asked me, even on a confidential questionnaire, if I was transgender, I would have said no, because yep. that's how scared I was. And I think that's what the the Trump administration wants to do is to continue to keep people scared of admitting 
their gender variance and their gender questioning issues. And that's and and that just plays out so much in the way uh, this government is running things right now. And I think right now people are starting to see that. And I hope in the 2020 election that love does win out at the national level in the election. I'm not hopeful for it because I don't want to be let down, but hopefully we'll get there. Yeah, no, they say uh, expectations are premeditated disappointments. <laughs> but one thing that you can do to keep yourself abreast, and uh, get it because we're talking, anyhow, um, abreast of transgender issues is to continue to listen to Transformation Thursdays. And we'll be back to just wrap up in a couple of thoughts about what we thought of this week's show in just a minute on Transformation Thursdays. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I am Amy Stevens, and we're just going to do a quick wrap-up here of our first episode, Penny. Yeah, what did you think of it? I thought it went pretty well. I think our first guest was amazing. Well, she's really cute. I think so, too. Yeah. And what do you think about, the, about the, the counting stuff? I think the counting is very important that we need to be talking about, because if we're going to look at American society as a whole, everybody should be counted and represented. And I think that's where the Obama administration was headed, and of course, I'm not surprised that the Trump administration rolled those efforts back. Yeah. So if you go to our Patreon page, you're yep. going to find all of our webcast, web, all of our podcasts. Plus, we're going to put links to all the things we talked about. Your stand-up comedy live yep. from London. We'll do so. We'll put up that a link to the study from the University of Minnesota. The best way to find our Patreon page is very simple. Just type into your browser, whichever one you want to use, transformationthursday.com, and that'll bring you directly to our Patreon page. As Penny was saying, you'll be able to find some great, cool content on there. And you can also sign up to support us. Uh, we do have some patrons. And in our next episode, we'll make sure we thank all of them. But you can sign up online, transformationthursday.com, on our Patreon page. And levels of support start at $1 a month. So we do have production costs that we have associated with our podcast, um, primarily hosting and getting it out. So not only will there be links to our podcast on our Patreon page, of course, we're going to get this out to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you're going to be able to find us. And I want to thank WAYO-FM.org, wonderful WAYO, for, Wayo. for providing us the studios in which we do our little bit of madness here. So uh, for this Thursday, I uh, it's about time for us to say goodbye. So I'll see you next Thursday, Amy. Bye. Bye.